What is up, everyone? Thank you so much for sticking around and being patient with us. We are joined now by our special guest, Anthony Scaramucci, and I'm also joined by our co-host, Alex McShane. Uh, Anthony, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. Can you guys hear me okay? I got a brand new microphone, so I'm feeling pretty smug about my microphone. Is it all right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. All right, good. Uh, Anthony, I want to start from sort of the very, very beginning of it all. Uh, how did you first sort of discover Bitcoin? And what was your initial instinctive reaction? Were you receptive to this new technology or were you a little hesitant and had a lot of questions and skepticism? Well, I mean, I'm going to take you far back, though. Uh, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't get the Bitcoin wisdom or the eureka moment until probably mid-2020. Uh, I had the introduction of Bitcoin in 2015. I looked at it. I think the Winklevosses introduced me. They came to the SALT conference. Um, I said, okay, that makes sense, but I'd have to see more adoption because unfortunately I'm an institutional investor and I got a lot of old people in my fund. They won't really understand it. And so I need more time. And then I had my seminal moment in Washington. You guys may remember I got my ass fired from the White House after 11 days. But prior to that, I was at the XM Bank and they were talking about digitizing the dollar. And I was like, oh my God. By the way, you're allowed to curse on this podcast? I know because I'm no, no known censorship you know, here. No censorship mean, here. By the way, Steve Bannon couldn't do what I said. I mean, fucking give me a break. There's no chance. But that's a whole other, that was the only piece of fake news that I've uttered so far. But anyway, I was looking at these guys. They're from Treasury. They say they're going to go digitize the dollar. I was like, okay, I'm totally miss, missing what's going on on the blockchain. I got to get involved with the blockchain. I get fired. I go back to Skybridge. I buy the URL skybridgebitcoin.com and I lock and load on doing the due diligence. And then I say to myself, okay, I'm willing to do this if Bitcoin gets to 100 million wallets. That happened November, in my mind, at least. Glassnode would say this. It happened in like November of 2020. And I made my first Bitcoin investment. And then, you know, it's like uh, it's like nachos. You can't just have one nacho, right? You have one nacho. And you're like, oh, my God, I have 10 nachos. And this is the point. So I try to get my clients at least in the game once they understand it. They're like, what the hell am I missing? You know, you're you're sure if you're listening to this and you don't own Bitcoin or other forms of this type of cryptocurrency, you're actually short it and you're going to get hurt because uh, the, the world's moving away from your position right now. Second yeah. that. <laughs> I, I'm a little curious real quickly if, if I can just ask this. What have ever since you've introduced this to some of your clients, what have their initial reactions been? Has anyone... I'm, I'm assuming a lot of it is just the general FUD we hear, like the BS that- I had one client try to fire me. I mean, this, I'm, you're fired. Okay, you know, I've got big wirehouse clients. They're done with me. They hate my guts now. And they turn me into a pariah. Uh, but one of my big clients actually out of the Middle East uh, called me and was like, I can't believe you're doing this. It's totally irresponsible. Warren Buffett says it's rat poison and you are totally irresponsible. And you must have had like a screw loose or something like that. And I'm like, okay, but I'm telling you, we're doing this. If you want to fire me, I'm okay with it because the opportunity is so substantial that whoever leaves will make up with it in terms of the appreciation, you know? And so ultimately that was my decision. We've lost a lot of assets. I'm not a one, one to BS you guys, but I do think that we're going to be rewarded long-term now. You tell me about Bitcoin. Are we in a Bitcoin bear market? The market went from 69,000 to 33,000. We're trading at 42,000. Or can you step back and look at Bitcoin and look at the scalability of Bitcoin over a five-year period of time? I'm choosing to do the latter. If you're going to measure this thing minute to minute, or you're going to put your pulse and tie it to the volatility of Bitcoin, then you're not understanding Bitcoin. You're not understanding the fear and uncertainty of doubt was in the horseless carriage. You know, there were guys walking around saying these things are never going to last. It's a fad. When the Wright brothers figured out the plane, there were people saying, well, that'll never have a commercial applicability. No one's going to fly inside a plane. And then, you know, I can take you through every stage of technological adoption where everybody said, well, that's not going to work, including the internet, where Bill Gates called the internet a fad 
and he had to reverse his position and start to create the Internet Explorer. So I'm going to leave you guys with one thing, because you're young guys. I'm looking at your faces. You're young. Uh, I'm going to take you back to 1997. Perhaps some of you were born or not. We used to have computers that were like big boxed computers, right? We didn't have flat screen computers. They were big boxed. And you had to dial up to the internet. Okay. So they were whirring and purring. And then the internet dialed up and then you were on the internet. Then it took 35 seconds to load your homepage. And you were probably on AOL when that was going on. And if I came to you from the future, let's say you were doing that in 1997 and I arrived from 2022 at my little Skybridge Bitcoin vest on and I, and I came and I tapped you on the shoulder. I said, Hey, let me tell you, you're having a hard time loading that web page and you're about to buy that first book from Amazon, but you know, what's going to happen 25 years from now, there's going to be hundreds of millions of people streaming 4k video at the same time on the internet. Okay. And that's where the world's going. Okay. Imagine the commercial jet airliner today and the first Wright brothers plane that took off at Kitty Hawk. Okay. So where are we with cryptocurrency and the blockchain? It is 1997. Web one, 1997 is web three, 2022. And so I don't want the clients to miss it. I want the clients to get invested ride the vomit comet of volatility, okay? But recognize that there's a huge upside, leverageable upside for them if they can stay patient and disciplined. 100%. And I have to agree with your assessment that Bitcoin should be looked at on longer time scales, not just because it benefits us to see that appreciating price, but because it's fundamentally programmed to inflate according to a certain schedule and eventually, as we all know, stop. There's this terminal inflation rate and there's this very important um, process of halvings where the amount of Bitcoin that gets issued, the block subsidy is halved every four years. It so happens to coincide with the political election cycle here in the United States, but you'll find that anyone who's held uh, Bitcoin for more than four years has never lost money. So I, you know, my two cents is if you're going to buy, look to hold for at least four years, but I, I, I guarantee within those four years, you'll come to recognize Bitcoin as, you know, one of the strongest assets that, that we held. Let me ask you guys something and just curious to get your feedback. Um, next having cycle is February, 2024. Do I have that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So where's Bitcoin? You're, you're, you're two years out from the halving cycle, roughly uh, 23 months. Where's Bitcoin? Now, remember, Bitcoin's going to go from 900 coins a day to 450 coins a day in 23 months. And you will likely have a cash ETF, which if you look at that Fidelity research report, that causes a game theory situation where every single big commercial bank, money center bank, has to have their own version of that cash ETF. You only have 21 million coins and you're going from 900 a day to 450. So Alex, let me ask you, where is Bitcoin in February, 2024? You know, I'm going to give it a broad range. I'm not much of a prediction guy, but I would say between 100 and $500,000 per coin. Okay. And, and I'm thinking of a terminal price, right? With that 21 million coins of five to 10 million us dollars if the dollar you know if we stop printing trillions of dollars that could be greatly elevated you know who knows how much they're going to print in the next two or three years yeah well no we we have a we have a, a minor catastrophe going on right there but i'm going to give you guys some good news and i want you guys to think about this um the united states is way stronger than all of us thought and let me just give you why, okay? We have this unbelievable military. Yes, we had some setbacks in Iraq and Afghanistan, but you got to look at that military footprint compared to, let's say, an adversary like Russia or China. Number two, the dollar, you can't underestimate the dollar. Now, maybe Bitcoin will supplant the dollar someday or some other currency, but there's no fiat currency right now that could supplant the dollar. There's, just, there's no way, okay? And the dollar has entwined itself in all other... 200 nations. And then look at what 
the United States was able to put together in terms of a coalition as it related to the Russian-Ukrainian war. So, so to me, I don't want to underestimate the United States and the power of the United States. Having said that, we took the Fed's balance sheet from like a trillion dollars to $9 trillion since 2008. And I know that that's not sustainable, guys. And I'm going to explain to you why, because it enriches very wealthy people. Okay. And it hurts the poor people because if my dad, who was operating a crane for 42 years, he made his money off of his time and you gave him a check. And let's say he was able to save $10,000. Well, his purchasing power this year versus last year is $9,200. And then next year, it's $8,400. What are you doing to the guy? You're, you're taking, it's a theft of his time and it's a theft of his labor as a result of the way you're inflating the money. So you're going to have a revolution. That's how it works. Okay, go study history. If you have the separation between the haves and the have not, you got the have shooting themselves into outer space in their own rockets, and you have the have nots going to Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders rallies. So, you know, if we don't stop that, okay, that puts us on a collision course with what always rhymes in history, which is a very large population that's discontented. So let's assume for the sake of this conversation that we can fix that. Let's say that we have political leadership, a change in baby boomer political leadership who suck, by the way. Baby boomer political class absolutely sucks. And I say that as a member of the baby boomers. These people are narcissistic, bunch of jackasses, only care about themselves. They're there to preserve their own personal power, not to serve the interests of the public. But let's say we get your generation involved and they're more practical and they're more public service oriented and they're going to come up with policies that are right or wrong policies as opposed to left or right policies, then your numbers are low on Bitcoin. Let me explain to you why. Because you're going to have to inject something like Bitcoin into the system to create guardrails and to create fiscal discipline for the lunacy that's taken place over the last 35 years. Anthony, I want to push back on some of the things you're talking about right here. Uh, I want to start first with the idea that, let me preface this, I'm a US, U.S. citizen, there's no better country in the world than America. We are not the dominant nation in the world, nor have we been for some time. Right now, the perfect example is during this Ukraine-Russia conflict, we are not involved in peace talks. That is primarily happening through the guidance of France and Israel. That right there to me signals that the rest of the world no longer looks to us as leadership. I second, my second point to bring up is the fact that about 22 years ago, Saddam Hussein and Vladimir Putin attempted to debase the US dollar as the global reserve currency by introducing the petro euro. And Iraq has been trading their oil for euros ever since. Right now we're watching Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin try and introduce the petro yuan. And in another attempt to debase the dollar. I think the world is, quite frankly, over this dollar reliance and dependence that they have been forced upon them pretty much since Bretton Woods II in 71. To your point, yes, I think there is going to be some sort of a revolution, and that is what's going to trigger these events. I agree that Alex's numbers are very conservative, but we're also still maintaining this idea that we're translating them back to the U.S. dollar, and that's where I don't agree with you. I do think at a certain point when that revolution happens, we are going to eliminate sort of this idea of denominating things back in the dollar, whether it's denominating things in Bitcoin, denominating things in oil because we're so desperate for energy, or whatever that next iteration looks like. I think that is more realistic and where we're headed towards. I'd love your thoughts and what you think there. Well, listen, I mean, you're, everything you're accepting, everything you're saying is an acceptable range of outcomes in terms of the permutation, you know, I'm old enough now and been humbled enough by life to uh, suggest to you that everything that you just said could eventually happen. Okay. The, you know, there's nothing, uh, however exceptional I feel America is, there's nothing promising American exceptionalism in the future. We could debate whether it is exceptional or not, but my point being, it has to be something that is constantly renewed and restated. You can't just let it decline and fray. 
I, I think the only things I would disagree with you on is the United States is the anchor to NATO. And so it would be impossible for the United States in a conflict like this in Eastern Europe to be part of the peace talks. You know, it just would be because, you know, this was ultimately a referendum uh, that turned into a war related to Ukraine and a situation vis-a-vis uh, -vis it joining the EU and or becoming part of NATO. Now, we could debate whether or not it should be allowed to do that or not, but that's one of the reasons why we're not in the peace talks. You mentioned Saddam Hussein and the uh, and the euro. That is true, but the 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 predominant currency, because the euro guys is a fixed exchange rate mechanism. It's not a real currency. You guys know that. There's no federal government underpinning it, and so ultimately, all it is is a fixed exchange rate mechanism. And I can prove to you throughout history, fixed exchange rate mechanisms never hold. They almost broke in 2012 with the Greek crisis, the quote unquote Grexit. And so you gotta be very, very careful with the Euro. The Yuan is very interesting. The renminbi is interesting because they are the largest economy in the world. We can pretend otherwise, but if you look at their understatement of their economy and their GDP, and you look at their population growth, they clearly are the largest economy in the world but they have an issue in China related to property rights. And so that creates a lot of uncertainty related to the Yuan in terms of what they're going to do with the Yuan. So it's not over for the US, okay? And so my last point is on a revolution. I'm hoping that we can resolve these things. I'm optimistic that we resolve these things without a revolution. However, if we continue on the current course trajectory, if we want to create another $9 trillion of money. And as much as I respect Jeff Bezos and respect Elon Musk, they're worth $4 trillion each. And the average person on the street is worth little to nothing. You are going to have a lot of upset people. And, and, and by the way, what I am heartbroken over is the people that I grew up with. Okay. Because again, I was in a blue collar neighborhood we were aspirational blue collar families. You know, my dad was like, I'm going to work this job. And someday one of my kids is going to, you know, work inside. I remember when I got my job at Goldman, my pops looked at me. He was like, I never want to hear you complain about your job. I'm like, why is that pops? He's well, you're indoors. You're out at direct sunlight and there's no heavy lifting. So I never want to hear you complain about your job. But there was a group of people when I was a kid, they thought their kids were going to do better than them. Aspirational working class. Those very same people today feel economically desperational. They feel like they can't get ahead and they're upset about it. And they don't feel like they're getting any help from the establishment. That's why they pee on the political establishment, the medical establishment, the business establishment. We got to fix that. If we don't fix that, we're in for a lot of trouble. And what I do love about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and the notion of DeFi is that it's it's a fair system. You know, it can't it's not subjected to the whims or the capricious behavior or the short-term expediency of a policymaker or a politician. And so for these reasons, your generation is going to take this into the future and make it a very, very big deal. Right. We want we want stateless money. The first stateless money in a very long time. Because it's drunk, it's drunk driving, Alex. Okay, it's like okay, you guys, the U twelve policymakers at the central bank, give me the keys to the fucking car. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> you, you ran the car into the ground. What are you guys doing? You're drunk driving with the monetary policy. Could you please hand us the keys? And since we can't trust anybody, let's make it fully decentralized so we don't have to. Right, that's the brilliance of it. Right? Okay, we we you know you want to. I don't know you. You don't know me. But we can trust the blockchain. Right. We can transfer value to each other through the blockchain. Why? Because we decentralized it. We put it in a position where no one person can run the goddamn thing. So therefore, we have trust in it. I, uh, I'm a little curious what your thoughts are on what is going to be that breaking point. You touch a little bit on this revolution. You touch on the fact that inflation is really screwing over the little guy. Is there a commodity <clears throat> that you're paying attention to closest that is going to be that breaking point for people as we know it here? 
I would say no, I can't think of any one commodity, but I would say that current course trajectory on Western democracies policies are going to create a bigger problem. You're gonna need a transformative leader or a transformative group of leaders to slow down the current trajectory. And so what I would say to you guys is that, let me, let me ask you a rhetorical question. Tell me a, a public servant in the West that you know has a 10-year plan to fix a problem. Okay, do you know anybody? How about a 10-year plan to fix infrastructure, a 10-year plan to right-size entitlements, a 10-year plan to address the deficit? Just giving you examples of things that we don't have any plans for. And well, so I'm not looking at any one commodity. I'm just looking at, okay, hold on a second, guys. We have this huge problem and here are the problems. They're all man-made or man and woman-made, but frankly, mostly men. And so now we can fix them. Uh, we certainly can fix them. We know how to fix them, but it's going to require delayed gratification. It's going to require telling the truth to the public. It's going to be, hey, look, you know, I'm sorry. We have a deficit issue. We can fix it. It's going to take 20 years to fix it. This is what we have to do to fix it. Is everybody in? Or does everybody want free stuff? You know, and if the answer is, well, we only want free stuff, then we can't fix it. And then we will force ourselves into a box where the society ultimately fixes it by deconstructing the society. So, so to me, I am still hopeful. Okay. I don't know. I have kids that are your age. Okay. I'm hopeful that you guys are going to be like, okay, these people that ran the thing after the World War II generation, they fucking suck. Total disaster. So, but let's figure out how we can fix it without having a, you know, revolution or some type of seismic turnover that will cause too much damage and hurt to people. That's what I'm hoping. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that, but we can do it. Guys, look at what's going on. Longevity, AI, robotics, 5G, Bitcoin, DeFi. Look at the cost savings that's going to come from the idea that we can transact with each other without middlemen and women. Are you telling me we don't have such great technological prowess in the society that we can't come up with the right ideas to fix the society? I believe we can. But I mean, the question is, are these democracies going to respond or are the people in the democracies going to say, wait a minute, that does make sense. I'm going to vote for that as opposed to this tribal identity politics nonsense that's been going on for the last three decades. I also want to push back on, you keep bringing up DeFi as this idea of decentralized finance. <clears throat> I personally don't think it is. Almost every single DeFi project has a central protocol or entity or person that's running these protocols. In fact, the only decentralized financial protocol that is out there in existence is Bitcoin. So why do we continue to sort of buy into this idea that DeFi exists and is helpful in the space when in fact, in my mind, it is no different than fiat. It's an endless printer supply with a centralized entity, individual or business that operates and says, okay, we're going to make more because we see fit or, hey, we're going to offload the stuff that we pre-mined because it's time for us to make some money. I mean, you're like a real contrarian bastard, though, no Q? I mean, Jesus, <laughs> you fucking push back it's on everything. It's coming in hot today. Man. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, but let me just say a couple of things. Let me let me further your argument. Let me bolster your argument for a second. Please. Well, then, then Bitcoin's not that decentralized either, because you're gonna a lot of Bitcoins held on an exchange, which is quote unquote centralized, right? So, so you know, I'll bolster your argument by saying that, but but I I see this in stages. I accept what you're saying today. Take a snapshot of what you're saying. You are correct. I'm trying to do what I asked Alex to do is look out over a five-year period of time. I'll use that analogy again about the 35-second download of the web page. You see, I think it's it's moved, the blockchain moved, then we got some centralized things like Kraken, FDX, Coinbase. You could describe many of them, central, you know, Ethereum with Vitalik. I got all of that, but I think it's moving in a phase. I think over the next three to five years, there'll be more DAOs. There'll be more opportunity to create that peer-to-peer -peer experience 
without the central authority. Now, maybe I'll be wrong. And maybe, maybe it won't, won't be the case, but it feels like it's going to be. And by the way, it doesn't have to go as utopian as I think it could be. It just has to go a little bit better than it is right now for this to be the opportunity of our lifetimes. You can, can push I, uh, back. It's okay. I know I was teasing. You can push back. You can say I'm full of shit. I'm being scolded. You can try, in the to, you can right try to you can try to pull a Steve Bannon <laughs> move on me. Whatever you want to do. No, no, no. I'm I'm I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm having a very good day. I'm in a great mood. Whatever you want to do, you can pull anything you want. <laughs> Look, I, I will say I will say this, and then I will hand it off to to Alex. But I absolutely think you are far more qualified than Jerome Howell or any of the bozos we have running the money printers down at DC. So I appreciate your color. But they would, but know. they would never let me do it. Because because, because you're not going to listen to them. You're no, because because what they're doing is the wrong long-term solution. So I would say, guys, I'm really sorry. This is the wrong long-term solution. But, you know, Trump railed on Jerome Powell when he didn't open the spigot. Elizabeth Warren, who I think is the stupidest, smartest person I've ever met in my life. I mean, you can't really be that much more stupid with that high of an IQ. You know, she wouldn't let it happen. You know, you 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 have to... Look at the thing for what it is. You're going to say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Public, if you want to make the society fairer, we're going to have to delay some gratification and take some pain to get this thing right. Paul Volcker did it, okay? But we're not doing it because, you know, you've got pay me now, I need to stay in power sort of people involved at the power chain. And that it's terrible. And I think dude, that's bullshit. Dude, you think I got you think I got fired because I said Steve Bannon was blankety blanket in the office? That's not why I got fired. I got fired because I was standing at the White House podium telling the truth. And nobody <laughs> liked that, man. People are like, well, you can't have that. This this town is allergic to the truth. You know, so I, I'm cool with it. It never bothered me. I took it like a man. But you know, your generation, you're gonna have to fix the problem, man. Because my generation sucks. We didn't do anything but make the problem worse. I appreciate you taking responsibility for your generation's actions. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm part of it. And you know, you know why I'm part of it? Because a large group of people in my generation were politically apathetic, including myself. And so what, what, and these guys, what they did was they split the country. Let me ask you something rhetorically. Are you in a real democracy if the candidates themselves can pick their voters? through a process known as gerrymandering. I mean, give me a break. Okay, so, so what they did was they said, let's make everybody nuts that's in the middle and normal. We'll get them not to vote. Okay, so voter participation goes down below 50%. Let's hype up the extremes. Those people will turn out. And let's slice out the enemies from our district so that we can stay perpetually power. And oh, by the way, if we're Chuck Grassley, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, let's stay in power to we're 210 years old because we don't want to have anybody else have any say in this. Let's just see if we can keep ourselves in power until our dying breath. Okay. And then we'll make fun of Joe Stalin for doing that, but we're doing that. What are you guys doing? Why don't you give a, somebody else a chance to try to fix the problems that you created? So I think uh, you can see why I'm not that welcome in Washington, right? I mean, because I mean, they want to hear that, right? come on, do they want to hear that? They want my money. They want me to shut up and go in the corner and they want to do things that are going to help my business. But the truth of the matter is it's not helping my business if it's hurting the society. I don't want to live in a Bob wire McMansion in a security compound while my fellow neighbors are suffering. I don't want that for myself or for my kids. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th, is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four-day-long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you are a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? 
pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. No, and I think um, kind of the consumeristic culture we've built up is um, basically encouraging people not to save, which is, you know, wrecking the, the not only the economy, but just our, our culture as Americans and, and the world's culture from all angles. And this is one of the problems, like you said, these uh, politicians just want to fill their own pockets real quick and, you know, stay accumulate as much power as possible. And it, it, it benefits them, but um, people don't realize that it ultimately doesn't benefit uh, them to receive something like a stimulus check, right? I mean, this is a, <laughs> we need a little more saving and a little more, you know, low time preference thinking and, and planning for the future. Um, yes. I mean, you know, it, it yeah. does in the short term, Alex, right? So it did benefit them in the short term, but it hurt them long term. You see what I mean? Of course, if you give me the stimulus check, I got it in my pocket. I can, you know, go out and buy Bitcoin with it or buy a meal, benefits, but it hurt the whole society in the long term. I'm sorry. Yeah, you had a now question. You got- I'm sorry. Oh, now you got to make that point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, now you got $10 gas and people are like, oh, it's Russia. And yeah, yeah, you know, there's, it's complicated. No, you inducted 42, you inducted (laughs) 42% more dollar volume over two years. What would you think it was going to do? It was going to show up in the prices. If you want to scapegoat it on the war as a political, you know, device or propaganda device, go ahead. But that's not what happened. I, I, I'm curious, um, what, if any, distinction you draw between uh, Bitcoin and, and other assets? I think uh, this is part of what <laughs> triggered Q a little bit. Or just uh, just curious, your thoughts on uh, that? In 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 terms of what? I just want to mean like until like Ethereum or other layer one assets, or what do you mean like cryptocurrencies or what? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 a, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I am a pretty much as close to a Bitcoin maximalist as you can be without being one, meaning that I believe that Bitcoin will remain the apex predator in the space. I believe that there's uh, technical properties with Bitcoin, however antiquated someone will accuse it of because of the proof of work and the energy consumption, uh, because it was first and because it's scaled and it's the most recognizable brand, I think it will maintain its status. And I think as the layer two stuff that helps Bitcoin, like the Lightning Network comes into play and other countries in Latin America or perhaps around the world start to adopt it, like El Salvador did, I think it maintains its standard. But I do think that there are use cases for other layer ones. I think Ethereum has already created a cult around it and there's a community around Ethereum that's building things on it. Uh, Solana is growing. Avalanche, Polkadot, these are uh, good uh, technologies. Obviously, my one of my favorite layer ones is Algorand. Maybe you guys have heard me talk about it. It was invented by Silvio Macaulay. I think that there is an analogy that I could draw for you guys to the cloud and cloud computing. If this was 2004, somebody came to me and said, your most top secret information on your server, we're going to store on somebody else's server. We're going to call it the cloud. I would say, no, I don't want to do that because I feel like you're going to steal my information. And then if it was done successfully, I was like, oh, my God, that's outsourcing all of that computer storage. It's saving me a lot of money. It's made my company more efficient. And there you go. You have Amazon Web Services. You've got Microsoft. You've got you know, Oracle, IBM. You've created all these centers. I think those layer ones are going to do that. Okay, I think that maybe... Ethereum will be for the art world. I don't know. I'm just I'm just brainstorming right now. I think right. Algorand, because I look at its uh, it's solving for the trilemma. I look at Algorand and say, okay, if I'm a CTO at a financial services company, I could be comfortable trading and transacting on Algorand and layering smart cr- contracts onto that. It's never gone down like Solana or some of these others. It uh, the the code is impossible to break. Um, it, it, and it's scalable. So, so to me, I think Algorand will be a survivor. I might be wrong. You know, I've been humbled by life, guys. So I'm not sitting here speaking in definitives or absolutes. But if you said to me, it's 10 years from now, are there 15 
to 20 currencies that have use cases and communities around them that are building things that people want, I believe that that's the case. And if you said to me 15 years from now, Bitcoin is maybe a 10 or $15 trillion market cap and it's digital gold, a store of value or potential legal tender around the world using the Lightning Network or in certain countries, I, 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 I see those things as plausible and so therefore, when you step back, there's an exponential growth opportunity. And this is the reason why we started on February 1st, the Skybridge Coin Fund, which we own a ton of Bitcoin, but we also own Polkadot, Avalanche, Algorand, you know, Solana, because we're basically making a statement that some of these coins are going to have evolving and exponential growth as a result of these use cases. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I, I like that distinction that you made. It's, it's very clear that the, the market is interested in, in NFTs and other um, cryptocurrencies. It's, it's unclear to me personally why they demand block space for those things. And, and I think maybe eventually it'll flesh out to they'll, they'll realize that databases would be more efficient. Um, but personally, I mean, to be transparent, I'm, I'm the Bitcoin only kind of guy, you know, it, mm -hmm. small fish consolidate do what works it's it's the only asset that i see as un um i can't be disenfranchised from it by anyone by any third party or, or government so you know that's that's what that's mm -hmm. what makes me comfortable that's that's where the money is yeah, yeah. And, and, and by the way i accept that okay um and i'm very i'm very i'm very much in your camp i mean i'm as close to a bitcoin maximus as i can be um, but I do think that these other protocols, they will have uses, a result of which I think that there will be some value to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll see, um, you know, cryptocurrencies in general only continue to grow. You know, I don't have any particular predictions about how that will all flesh out other than people will continue to use them um, as sort of speculative investments, uh, maybe maybe for the technology, whatever it may be. And uh I think, you know, eventually they'll, they'll come to be regulated as securities, whereas uh, Bitcoin, I think, will continue to be treated as a property, yeah. as, yeah. as it should be. Yeah. yeah, listen, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're having that debate right now, whether those things are currencies and tokens that can be exchangeable with each other or securities. And so, and I think you're ultimately going to be right. I think some of them are going to be deemed securities, if not all of them. I think it's going to be very hard to deem Bitcoin as a security at this point, particularly after the IRS opined a couple several years back that it's intangible property. I don't see how they go from intangible property to security, but let's see. You know, here's the thing, you know, none of us know. And so we're shooting in the dark. But again, my whole life has been on probability assumption and permutational outcomes. Q may be right about what he's saying in terms of the dollar losing its mantle of leadership. But what I see is something that Lee Kuan Yew once said about America. You know, America is in constant renewal because America is based on an idea. You know, the founder of Singapore said, don't be so quick to bet against America because, you know, you can come to America from another country and you can assimilate and be American. Sure, there'll be racism and there'll be levels of discrimination, as it were, from my Italian-American grandmother. But my point being, uh, you can be Italian-American, you can be British-American, you can be Chinese-American, but it's very hard to go to China and become American-Chinese or Japan and become American-Japanese. And so, so it's an idea. And so his point was, if it's handled properly, and this is a big immigration issue that we have to deal with, you can always have capital intellectual capital flying into the country, fleeing other governments, if it's handled right. And then that causes a renewal. Okay. And it, it helped us during World War II uh, when Albert Einstein came and they helped explain how to create a nuclear bomb. It gave us a lead. It helped us, you know, in the early 20th century, in terms of our manufacturing prowess, you can ask Henry Ford, can't ask him because he's dead, but he would tell you that all those immigrants helped him build that company. Uh, and it can help us again. I think we have to drop our fear of the immigration um, and, and all of that race baiting that goes with it. But I just think there's a huge opportunity for the United States to renew itself perpetually 
if we think about it with that, that thought process. As the son of immigrants, as a first-generation American, I, I wholeheartedly agree that we need to be, I think, a little oh, Holy shit, Alex, did you hear that? He, 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 we should end the pocket. He just agreed with me. We should end the pocket. <laughs> Chris, I see you back there in the studio. Kill the podcast, okay? Nice talking to you guys. I got Q to agree with me, okay? Um, and, 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 I, and I'm glad it doesn't say Q or non, okay? Because I was dying to find out who that actually don't was. Dox, don't dox me. Don't dox me. Okay. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. Uh, you actually agreed with me. So, all right. I, I want to... I I'm feeling good about myself right out now. Of, out of the crypto markets. <laughs> and I want to move to the public markets. I, myself, I trade in the markets. I That's sort of how I make a majority of my money as well as you. Um I'm curious, though, your thoughts. There's this conversation around Bitcoin being sort of an inflation hedge, or it should be a bet against the dollar. However, we have watched this correlation with Bitcoin and the price of whether it's the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, making an all-time high just two days after Bitcoin's all-time high, and then a nice decline. I believe the last correlation percentage I saw was about 93% correlated. Um, I'd love your initial thoughts on that. And yeah. what event or events you think could help decouple Bitcoin from these public markets? I mean, it, 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 it's a phenomenal question. And I, I have to just guess at it. And I have to just evaluate my thinkings on it as opposed to really knowing anything absolutely. But, but here's what I think is happening. And I've always said this. I say it on television. I say it in podcasts. I do not see Bitcoin as a inflation hedge or a digital store of value. I do not see that. I see Bitcoin still as an early adoption technical story, technical asset story, I mean technology. And I'll give you an example. When Amazon was 13 years old, it dropped 60% in value. And if you were smart enough to buy it when it was 13 years old, it went up 64X. But now Amazon is fully saturated in the marketplace and look at its volatility last year. You see, when when Alex is ultimately right about his predictions and Bitcoin scales to a half a million dollars, you invite me back on the podcast. I'll say, look at this, look at the way it's trading, look at its chart. It is a store of value. It is a lower volatility digital gold or a potential inflation edge because you can't find anything harder in terms of hard money than Bitcoin. But it's not there yet because we only have and again, you guys tell me, Glassnode, last week I looked at it, there were 247 million wallets. Michael Novogratz tells me, according to Galaxy's research, there's about 150 million Bitcoin holders on a population of seven and a half billion people. So to me, it is not there yet. So therefore, it is trading as a risk-based asset linked to other risk-based assets in the NASDAQ, other technology growth stories. But it will start to do that as the wallet scale. Now I'll say something that contradicts what I just said. Take a look at Bitcoin's chart since the war started. Bitcoin has been remarkably anti-fragile since the war started. There is a bid for Bitcoin. And if you look at that chart, it's basing nicely. And if you look at the triangles in that chart, it's not going to surprise me at all if Bitcoin's at fifty to $75,000 over the next six to nine months because people are realizing, wait a minute, this thing's here to stay. And if there is war and there is uncertainty, this is a place where I want to park some value. And I think that will start to happen. But you're not going to get the Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, Bitcoin as a digital store of value, in my opinion, until you reach a billion wallets. Okay, and that, that'll imply that it's greater depth of saturation and therefore it's more mature, which will lead to less volatility. Same as Amazon or some of these bigger stocks like Apple. Does a Bitcoin ETF in the public markets <clears throat> hinder or help us reaching that? Oh my that God. I mean, a bit, a bit. So let me just say this to you, okay? Two years after the gold ETF, gold was up 30%. Okay, just gold. And you, you know, gold, you know, I think is a way inferior asset than Bitcoin. If you get a Bitcoin ETF, you're forcing every financial services institution to offer one. So I'm a high net worth individual. You're a FA at Morgan Stanley. And I just sold my company. You're now coming to pitch me. Uh, is Morgan Stanley going to leave out of your arsenal the Bitcoin ETF? So I say, okay, Q, that's great. You got a good asset allocation portfolio, but it's stocks and bonds. 
Or you mean to tell me that I'm not going to have any Bitcoin exposure if I come to Morgan Stanley? And then they'll be like, no, 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 we're going to use it. So in other words, they're not going to, you know, Morgan Stanley will have it. Wells Fargo will have it. BlackRock will have it. Once it's legal or approved by the United States, you're going to force everybody into it, which will naturally push the price up. You guys know this, but it's worth stating for the people listening in. Bitcoin is the only thing where when the demand increases, you cannot increase supply. You like my stock known as Apple, Amazon, American Express. Let me issue more stock to you guys. Let me increase the number of shares in the flotation. I can't do that with Bitcoin. But I'm telling you right now, you're telling me there's a cash ETF. And so all of a sudden, all that regulatory fear and uncertainty and doubt has been blown up by the origination of this cash ETF. You know, you, 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 you're going you're gonna to flush these people. They're going to have no choice. I may hate Bitcoin and I may think it's the worst thing that ever happened to the civilization or rat poison squared or all the stuff that I've heard. But God damn it, I got to have it in my portfolio to sell to people. Q, I bet you you agree with me on that one too, though, right? You probably do, right? Yeah, a little I do. Bit, right? I mean, it, it's yeah. hard to disagree with that. Right. I, I, right. I have to just be the contrarian bastard that I am, though. Okay, go ahead. That. Go ahead. Uh, because you're not holding your own coins. So we're not actually uh, getting rid of that volatility. I don't think volatility is a bad thing. I think if you can't absorb the volatility on the downside, you're not allowed to benefit or cheer or root for the volatility on the upside. So I am a little curious on two fronts. A, who do you think is going to hold the Bitcoins for Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, or whoever is creating these ETFs? And then secondarily, obviously this happens after the US government approves or legalizes or whatever they want to call it, Bitcoin to a degree. What does that taxation look like on this asset? A good question. I Again, I can only speculate with you. It's a very, very good question. And I think the answer is you have to tell me uh, is it a Bitcoin-friendly administration or a Bitcoin-unfriendly administration? It's a really, really good question. And I would I, say Elizabeth Warren is on the table, but so is Cynthia Loomis. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have a situation if it is Elizabeth Warren, where we're in a we're in a situation we're in a scrum where she's trying to tax the living daylights out of it and trying to choke it off. Won't won't kill it. It'll just force it into the hands of our adversaries and it'll force it into the hands of Bitcoin friendly markets. You, you guys know how that works. It's not, it's not like, okay, moving on. You know, you know what I learned the other day, the volume in China. So Bitcoin is banned in China. They kicked out all the miners. Do you know that 10% of the Bitcoin transactions globally are happening in China? So you're not going to be able to get rid of this that it's not, it's not like it's just going away, guys. Not going away. All press is good press. So we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. But I don't, I don't, I don't see it going away, you know, and I could be wrong. I, I'm also curious your thoughts on this uh, conversation that we see happening around the world where different nations are looking at Bitcoin as sort of their opt-out of the US dollar. Um, at what point? Is there a certain nation like Russia, for example, that if they take some sort of le legislation that is pro-Bitcoin, that will trigger some sort of a response out of the US? Good question. So can you give me a little bit more flesh on the example? So what would Russia so, do? So as of now, uh, not now, about a month and a half ago, Vladimir Putin uh, reneged on their finance minister's stance where they were trying to force out Bitcoin. Uh, right. Vladimir Putin came out and said that we, are, we have such a competitive advantage with energy that we need to capitalize Bitcoin mining and we should be a hub for it. And is forcing through legislation to, make, to legalize Bitcoin, not make it legal tender, but simply legalize it. Would an action like this cause DC right now yeah. to respond and in what way? So I'm going to say something very cynical. Okay. And again, I'm just making a guess. I'm going to say no. I am going to say, however, that there is a descending horde of lobbyists that are pro-Bitcoin. And I think they're going to start throwing money at politicians. I also think that there is, you know, you guys have all heard of a DAO. Uh, I call it a DLO, a decentralized lobbying organization. Okay, what do I mean by that? 
according to Coinbase, I guess there's 75 to 85 million accounts on Coinbase. You guys may remember last year, they tried to put language in the infrastructure bill related to Bitcoin. Some were favorable, some were negative. Both got destroyed by that decentralized lobbying organization because the phone calls were coming in left and right, scaring the bejesus out of the elected officials. And so if you got 50 to 70 million people owning cryptocurrency, they may end up as one issue voters queue. You know, and so so I think nothing from Russia or nothing from an adversary is going to change people, but what would change their minds? Voters, voter interest. And lobbying, and I'll make a prediction here, there's going to be so much money that hits these pro-Bitcoin candidates in 2022 and in 2024 that our next two presidential candidates, Republican and Democrat, whoever they may be, will both be pro-Bitcoin in 2024 because of the money. Okay, And so I do believe that this will happen and this will cause a relaxation and regulation um, and that's just the nature of the beast, not to sound so cynical, but that's the nature of the beast in Washington. I'm curious because you've done a lot of work on both sides of the aisle as far as campaign financing goes and just general financing. Mm -hmm. What does, does Bitcoin offer new opportunities in campaign financing that is either good or bad in your view? Um, you know, I'm a negative on the way the campaign financing is now in general. Okay. And what do I mean by that? So the Citizens United, which was a uh, Supreme Court decision, basically said, if you're a multi-billionaire, it's your First Amendment right to spend your multi-billions exercising your right of free speech, right? So I can put up Q for president, Alex for governor. I can do it all day long. It's my money. And I'm, I'm negative on that. Okay. I think that that's the Plessy versus Ferguson and that's a 1890s Supreme Court case where they were litigating over how to treat blacks and whites in a classroom or blacks and whites in the society. And the Supreme Court said they should be separate but equal. And the minute they did that, they created this massive amount of discrimination and massive amount of unfairness. And I think that that's what we did with the campaign finance. We made it separate but equal, but some are more equal than others if they have money. And so I think we have to have like a Brown versus Board of Education, which was a reform, a reformation decision that broke Plessy versus Ferguson. And we, we integrated the schools. And I think we have to make the campaign finance fairer. Now, to answer your question, could Bitcoin do that? Absolutely. Because if it's tied to the blockchain, you guys know that that ledger uh, and that store of value, transfer of value is arguably the most transparent in the world. And so, yes, it could be helpful. I'm going to say something that's not going to sit well with half of our audience. Um, I'm hard pressed to believe that Roger Stone's um, Supreme Court is going to allow for campaign refinancing to allow the wealthy to essentially not participate in the ways that they are. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd love I, your thoughts I, on just... No, I listen, listen, right listen, I, 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 I agree with that. Remember, it took 70 years to reverse Plessy versus Ferguson. You know, I, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I'm just, you're just asking me what I think has to happen to make the society fair. You know, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I mean, look, think about this. The Republicans did a very good job of exploiting the tyranny of the minority, and let me just explain that quickly to your listeners and viewers. There are four senators in the combined states of North and South Dakota. They have the population of the island of Manhattan, roughly 1 million people. Yet there are four senators in our two most populous states, Texas and California. So what the Republicans did was they exploited the Republican nature of the democracy, right? Remember what the founders said, they don't want mob rule. They wanted some minority protections for people, not that are black or brown, but people that were in the minority as it related to the popular vote, which is why they gave Rhode Island two senators and North Dakota two senators. But look what the Republicans did. They exploited that. Then they used the gerrymandering. And you now have the tyranny of the minority. 
Okay, so even though if you look at the population, it's a blue population, it's primarily a democratic population, it's it's been controlled by the Republicans in the House and Senate for many years. I mean, it, it flipped over in this last election due to the idiocy of Trump. But in general, they have been able to control the card table because they exploited the rules associated with the game of playing cards. You see what I mean? And so, so I don't know, is that going to last forever? Um, will there be any more constitutional amendments? Uh, this current group of people is doing everything they can to prevent constitutional amendments. We've had 27 amendments since the country was born. That's roughly one amendment every eight to nine years. We've had no significant amendment since the 1965 Voting Rights Act. So yes, we had a 27th amendment in 93 that was procedural, but I'm talking about a real significant seismic change to the social contract. Last one was in 1965, 57 years ago. Does that make sense to anybody? It shouldn't. We should have other constitutional amendments. One should be about the gerrymandering. Okay, guys, you're not allowed to pick your voters, okay? The voters pick you guys. You don't pick the voters. And, the, and we should make the districts look more like the geometric shapes that all of us could recognize from ninth grade geometry. Right now, they're like jigsaw puzzles and surgically micro sliced. Guys, what are you doing? That's not, that's not in the spirit of the thing. Okay. And then, you know, they gutted the Voting Rights Act in 65. Look at what they're doing. Keep changing the rules, keep moving the goalposts. So there needs to be some restatements. Now, that's not going to happen with the octogenarians that are running the country right now because it doesn't perpetuate their power. But it could happen with your generation who says, oh my God, we really got to fix this. How would the founders think about this? How can we fix this? How can we make it more fair? Um, maybe you guys will come up with some ideas and maybe there'll be a constitutional amendment. I want to give you the opportunity though to <clears throat> Anthony Scaramucci, you are president of the United States with the ability to make these changes. What, what is, what are First the changes? Of all, I'm, I'm running for re-election of my marriage, man. I, I have no interest of in being, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm Italian, so I can probably survive one or two castrations. I mean, I mean, circumcision, I just blew the joke. I guess if I have one or two circumcisions, but not a castration, you know, forget that. But if I, if I, if I had that opportunity, let's say I was, I'm a realist. I would know that the current personnel in the Congress are not going to allow me to recommend and make the changes necessary. So I would spend my term on the road talking to the American people. I, that's what I would do because I would use the bully pulpit of the presidency to get out there and explain to the American people the forces that have been in play that are actually hurting them, that are actually benefiting the career politicians. And I would ask the American people to think about that. And then if they were on board, let's put in some changes. And I'll remind you guys that uh, nobody in the establishment wanted Uber. No regulator wanted Uber. Why did Uber win? The people wanted Uber. See, I think it's the same thing with Bitcoin. The regulators don't want Bitcoin. The American Banking Association doesn't want Bitcoin, but the people want Bitcoin. So if I were president, okay, and let's assume that I could keep my hair, although I'd probably fucking lose it due to stress, but let's say I was, my number one objective would be to meet with and speak to as many people as possible the truth about the problems and then offer them an idea how we fix these problems together. Okay. And that would scare the life out of these people in the establishment. They would want, they would be running for the woods or trying to take my head off, or they would have some fake, you know, nonsense on the internet about me and, you know, all that stuff that they do to try to kill you in, in politics, you know, I mean, I was in politics for 11 days. I was Tony Soprano on the Potomac. I was a, a Jersey Shore cast member. I mean, they were driving, you know, you know, they were doing everything they could to characterize me and to two-dimensionalize me so that they could delegitimize who I am and what my ideas represent. You see, and, that, and they have to do that because they're not going to win on the facts. So the first thing they teach you in law school in trial advocacy Hey, if you can't win on the facts, attack the person. You have to have an ad hominem attack 
have to destroy that person's character and their dignity in the eyes of the jury. And maybe you'll win on the emotion as opposed to the objective facts of the case. You see what I mean? So that's that's the MO. Like, holy shit, we don't need this guy. Let's do a Washington number. How many guys show up in Washington, bright eyed and bushy tailed with fresh ideas? And these people say, OK, let's gut this guy like a fish or yeah, that woman to, like a fish. I went to George Washington. Plenty of those right. bright eyed kids are still there that I went to school with. Yeah, but they've been jaded, though, or they've been corrupted by the process. You know, oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know that. I was I was the least politically active student at the most politically active school in the country. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. And uh, I have to ask it while I have you being the bastard that I am. In your experience in the White House, what was something that you just absolutely couldn't stand or, or kind of made it easy for you to accept walking away from it all? You know, it's a different game. You know, this this is a money game. I mean, you know, Wall Street is brutal until you meet the people in Washington. You know, at least we're on the green team. You know, we, we you know, like, let's let me put it this way. Q, let's say you hated my guts, but there was a billion dollars on the table and you had a fake liking me to split the billion dollars with me. You're going to fake like me and we're going to get $500 million each. But there's no incentive in Washington, right? You know, so they have to play the lobbying game. They're making 170,000, 200,000. They will stab your eyeball out with an ice pick and they'll put it in their martini glass. So your eyeballs now sitting in their dirty martini glass and they're talking to you. Your eyeballs in the glass, you're bleeding at the table and they're talking to you like, what are you having for lunch? I've never seen people like this before. You know what I mean? They're to your face to tell you how great you are. And then they're dropping a dime on you to a journalist that owes them a favor to, to say that you're a bad guy. You know, you come on, come on, you know. Okay, so that's the machine in Washington. Somebody like me, I don't have time for that. I don't have a bit for that. You know, I, I, I've got 40 or 50 people here. I got to take care of and make sure I make payroll and pay their health care insurance, you know, and I want them to row the boat together with me. In Washington, they had one gun out here and they had one gun on the other guy. I want the guns out here, you know, it's a, it, it has to change. You have to force a cultural change and that's going to require your generation to put good men and women in Washington that will force the change. And again, maybe you'll get some people out there speaking to people, honestly, in the prairie and in the inner city, wherever. And people say, you know what, that's got to, that's the direction we have to go in. No more of this jingoistic nonsense that these uh, focus groups are saying that these politicians should say. Based on the system that we have now, where money essentially can buy you votes and you can dictate sort of the status quo as is, if any bright-eyed person like Alex or I were to try to campaign from our home state or even from wherever, wherever is just a layup win, at a certain point, wouldn't Washington still block us out? I think so. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I th again, it's going to require a very big something's going to have to happen. You know, there's going to have to be a group of people, a political action committee that's dedicated to right versus wrong, supports candidates that are independents. You know, you could really crush these guys, right? You only need 10 people. You get 10 senators that are independent and are not beholden to either caucus, you've, you, you killed these guys. You, 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 you force them into the middle, into making compromise and doing the right thing. You, know? you don't have to win everybody. You just have to liquidate the extremists by getting more independents involved. Do you think in this iteration of it, do you think a third party could help appease that at least and they'll never the but ground. they'll never allow it to happen they have such a strong duopoly uh ross perot in 1992 he used his own money to create a third party movement he got 19.9 percent .9 of the vote the minute they extinguished him they passed laws and legislation to make it impossible for third parties let's say the four of us want to start a third party you need like hundreds of thousands of petitions signed and all these different legal hoops, they make it impossible for a third party through the restrictive legality. And they do it state by state. 
you know, you and I might be able to have a third party run as president. We may only be able to get into 15 states and then you can't win the electoral college anyway. So yeah, you'll, you'll peel away from one of the other two parties, but you're not, you're not going to be successful. And they, they got scared by Ross Perot. So they clamped down on it with all of these additional legal restrictions. So I have a, a, a question. I mean, how do you, what do you think about the kind of libertarian minded um, free market anarchist Bitcoin ideals that seem to bubble up with between with a lot of Bitcoin maximalists? You think the only way to take on this system is from within or as you said, something's got to happen? I mean, we're I don't I don't you know, again, it, these are great questions, Alex. I don't know the answer. I will say to you, history is on the side of Bitcoin. I will say to you that libertarian concepts and ideas, by and large, people want to be free. The way an autocrat wins or the way it works for an autocrat is that they force people into a zone of cynicism where they're like, oh my God, you know, Vladimir Putin's running this thing with a couple of cronies and I better toe the line or he's going to hurt me and my family. And so they get into the humdrum of that quiet desperation and they go forward. But if that person gets a glimmer of hope or a glimmer of freedom or a glimmer of opportunity, they will move towards that light. You see what I mean? And that's why Bitcoin is so scary to autocrats, right? Now, now maybe it won't be scary to the Russians because they need it now because they've been taken off the Swiss system. But still, you got Kate, know your customer, right? And you got all, all that sort of stuff that you have to do, the AML stuff. It's going to be very hard for them to move the stuff over Bitcoin. You guys know that. You know, so the, so the point being is these types of concepts and these types of ideas, they further the cause of liberty. But you have to break the cynical cycle to get people adjusted to it. I have to apologize to you guys. I have, I have a 415 that I've got to, I got to get on. But um, I, I appreciate all the time and I'm happy to come back on. And even if you have Q on here, Alex, beating the shit out of me, I'm happy to come back on. All right. He's a very it. smart guy. He's a very smart guy. Thank um, you thanks so much. But, for you know, listen, time. I mean, but here's the good news. Okay. The good news is there are things out there that should give you hope. This type of technology going around these people that are uh, obfuscators of the future and obfuscators of in in innovation. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity you should be too. Um, we don't need to be cynical about our future. There's too many good things happening. Let's get through this war. We've got a lot of plans in place to incentivize people to reduce their carbon footprints, which hopefully will make the, I forget about whether you believe in global warming or not. I'm not here to litigate that. I just want the air to be cleaner for my kids. You know, you got large amounts of asthma in these inner cities. That's irrefutable. Okay, we want to debate the climate change. That's fine. Make the air cleaner so we don't have the asthma. You know, that's what I'm about. So, all right, guys, I got to hop, but thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm holding Alex McShane to his Bitcoin prognostications, okay? I'm holding <laughs> particularly to those higher numbers. The higher numbers are the ones that are going to hold them to the most. You got it. 500,000 in three years. All right, guys. <laughs> thank you very well. much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.